So, um, you miss home or what? And by the way, what's, this is very casual. This is very casual setting. Home? I'm talking about like, you know, text. I'm not talking about heaven or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to go die and go to heaven. I'm saying like, do you miss going, do you miss Texas? Do you miss your home in Texas? Like on this trip? <clears throat> yeah. No, not at all. Oh, you don't? Okay. Wow. <laughs> Whenever you travel, do you ever miss going back home? Yeah, I mean, I think if I was on a trip and the food, sometimes when the food's not very good <laughs> or the weather's not very good, like I could, like if I'm in a really cold area. Like where? I mean, like I've gone to Oklahoma City, like where we have our church plant, or if you go even further north, like sometimes we went on missions trips uh, at Faithful Word, like we'd go all the way to Michigan, or uh, we went to Minneapolis, Minnesota, I think it was. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I mean, it's so cold there that it's just like, I just want to be somewhere where it's warm. The, uh, is Oklahoma cold? It can be. Really? It's very windy. It's actually very similar climate to what I grew up in. Because I grew up in the Panhandle, Texas, and they have a lot of, it's in fact, Amarillo is kind of where I was near. I lived in Canyon, but it's like 10 minutes from Amarillo. Amarillo is like the windiest city in the United States. Really? There's like one other city sometimes that's on a list higher than it, but it's like in the mountains or something. I thought Chicago for some reason. Well, Chicago's like three or four, depending okay. on like kind of what list you look at. But yeah. yeah, Amarillo has like a higher average uh, wind, um, I guess how strong the wind is, like how many miles per hour the wind is on a daily basis. It's like And it's cold. Well, it gets cold. Okay. Amarillo, you get all four seasons. Oh, okay. But you Does have- Does it snow there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Pretty much it snows every year. This is in Texas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh, But you get like 30 mile per hour winds as a daily average. Wow. So, but I mean, you'll have days where it's like 50, 60, 70 mile per hour winds. And it's just like, I got to a point where I just hate wind. Yeah. So like, that's one of the things I loved about Phoenix is it was never windy. Mm. And it was just like, I just loved it. Even though it was like really hot, like you're kind of on the surface of the sun, but at the same time, just no wind was just so delightsome for me. Did you just like live with chapped lips or something or what? No, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't have a problem with the. I mean, I think you get used to it a little bit. Mm. If you haven't been there in a while, and then you go, it's kind of like, especially in the summer, you kind of like, oh wow. Like I recently preached there. I think you did as well. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I mean, in in Texas, oh, where it's in windy. Texas. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you get really bad uh, lip. Chap lips, and if you start licking your lips, it's good, it's it just, just gets, gets worse. Really, you get that really, ring, really, really bad. You ever seen kids like that where mm-hmm. they just can't stop, and then they they have this this ring around their mouth? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. They get it when they drink uh, Powerade too, because they like suck they suck the top of the lid <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> it's like then they have this red ring around their yeah. mouth or something. You said you you went to go preach at Faithful Word. When's the last time you went to, to Arizona? Was that the, when's the last time before that that you went to Arizona? Probably our pastor's thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the pastor's retreat. Yeah. So I've been there a few handful of times since uh, having gone and started the church at Pure Words. Um, not that many times. Okay. But I, we really, we loved it in Phoenix. It felt like we were on permanent vacation. We didn't miss Texas then either. Um, so, you know, I, I love Texas, obviously, and... Uh, but it's kind of it's kind of hard to say it's home just because I've been to so many different parts of Texas. Like I grew up in the Emerald Canyon area, and then we lived in Houston for a while, and now we live in DFW. So I guess nothing has ever felt like this is home. Like mm. I guess they all have 
they all seem like home in different ways. They all have their place yeah. in the history of Pastor Jonathan Schell. Right. Cool deal. Well, I think we could get started. I think <clears throat> Pastor Shelley is easily warms up here. You, you seem to get pretty, um, you're pretty comfortable in a mic, so we're going to go ahead and get started, all right? All right, folks. Well, welcome to the Rod of Iron Podcast, Fundamental Baptist, breaking down discussions, dogma, and daily events. I'm your host, Pastor Bruce Mejia of First Works Baptist Church here in beautiful Southern California, and we have a special guest with us this episode, Pastor Jonathan Shelley of Steadfast Baptist Church and Pure Words Baptist Church, and he's a great friend of ours. He actually just finished preaching for us uh, yesterday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, great sermons, great messages, and we've been hanging out for the last couple of days, and so we're thankful to have you on the podcast, Pastor Shelley. Yeah, I'm so glad I get to finally be here. I mean, I had one other previous time where I was on the show, but it was really short, <laughs> and uh, I had to play all the parts, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, did you check the cameras? Did you check the yeah, cameras? Yeah, the cameras okay? Mas Café? Mas Café? <laughs> yeah, he, he pretty much destroyed us on that, uh, on that uh, little video that he made about us. But uh, I counted in honor, though, you know, and so because we're easily copied, I guess. <laughs> well, when you have great content to uh, work with. So. So, Pastor Shelley, good to have you on the uh, on the show here. We're just going to shoot the breeze. Just talk about your upbringing, how you got saved, how you got into church, how you became a part of the new IFB. You know what's going on now uh, at your church. Of course, we we know about the persecution taking place. But we might go into some specifics, just kind of talk about that, and just talk about persecution in general, as far as Christians are concerned, and <clears throat> what the persecution that you faced, what that means for Christianity now, in 2022, and you know going forward. And so, um, we're looking forward to having you on the show here. Of course, you're here with your family as well. Your wife's here with your kids, and uh, we're hanging out at Knott's Berry Farm on Friday. And going on some roller coasters, so that was fun. And then, of course, we had them on Sunday here. And so we're looking forward to a great episode. You ready? Let's do it. C- can you honor us here? Let's do it. Texas version, huh? <laughs> I, I don't know if he's yeah. gonna break into t- techno or what. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, Pastor Shelley, so tell me, when did you get saved? Well, I grew up going to church my whole life. My parents uh, were both very um, involved in church. What kind of church? Now, both of my parents were raised Assemblies of God, which okay. is actually Pentecostal, mm-hmm. and when I um, they they met in New York, and that's where I was born. But then when I was very young, we moved to Dallas-Fort Worth area. Do you remember your time in New York at all? No, I was like two years old okay. when they moved. So uh, I was r- kind of early raised in the DFW area. We live in Keller. And my parents took me to a church called Church on the Rock, and it was just kind of like a non-denominational church. Mm-hmm. And I think that— This is after the Assemblies of God— 
Well, I never grew up in Assemblies God churches. Okay. They did. Yeah, they okay. were. That's their upbringing. So essentially, they would take us to churches, though, growing up that are like non-denominational, where most of the non-denominational churches from the 90s and the early 2000s are kind of like spinoffs of a lot of Baptist churches and things like that. But a lot of them maybe have become kind of liberal, mm-hmm. or some of them became what they consider charismatic. So they kind of delve into some of the, the, the charismatic giftings, like speaking in tongues or things like that. And this church, I don't remember anything charismatic about it. Um, what was the church called? Church on the Rock. Oh, Church on the Rock. Yeah. That's right. And so, but this church, everybody sang together. And then as soon as the singing was done, the kids would go to like a separate area and the adults would stay for the service. Mm-hmm. So like a kid's church. And every <clears> single... <throat> week at the end of the kids church someone basically gave like a pretty abbreviated gospel and then would just ask kids to come down and accept christ and i just remember about five years old i mean i had that opportunity several weeks in a row and i finally decided that i wanted to accept christ and Hmm. and believe in him for salvation now whenever i did that the day that i did that i went home and there was uh two kids that live right next behind us Mm -hmm. because all the neighborhoods, they didn't have an alley. So the backyards are connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And there's two twins that live next to me, like right behind my house that we're all the same age. And I went over there, I tried to get them saved. So, Mm. so we'd always jump on the trampoline together and hang out. And so I'm like trying to preach the gospel to these kids. I don't have a Bible, you know, I don't even hardly know what I'm saying probably, but I tried to convince them to get saved and one of them wanted to, and the other one didn't. So do you remember what you would tell them? No, I I mean, (laughs) That's so long ago that I, I'm sure even what I would say may not be exactly accurate, but to the best of my knowledge, like I remember just saying things like, we're all sinners, and if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll go to hell, mm-hmm. and that Jesus died on the cross, and that salvation's only through you know accepting Jesus yeah. as your Savior. That would probably be, in essence, kind of what I was explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I explained that, and one guy wanted to pray with me, so I prayed with him. And the other one didn't. Now, I don't know that I was the best soul winner back then because then we started making fun of the other kid saying he's going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I um, Later in life, thinking about these things, I went and looked up these two guys on Facebook, and I found both of them. And they both go to, a, like, a non-denominational church, which, you know, I don't know what to think about that. But, like, his fa- their family were, like, atheists and not saved, didn't go to church, weren't interested in those things at all. Hmm. So just the fact that they went to a church, I was just thinking like, well, maybe they, you know, maybe that at least had an impact in their yeah, life. Yeah, for sure. And I don't even know for sure if they're saved 100%. I think I tried to reach out one of one of them, but it didn't really, we just didn't connect. So I don't know. Well, either way, I mean, <clears throat> let's say they didn't get saved. Obviously, you did plant a seed, you know, because the fact that they didn't have like a Christian upbringing, their, their family was atheist, but then for them to be in church, you know, obviously you played a role in that. So, I mean, that's kind of just, you know, I believe I got saved at age five. Um, then, you know, I grew up in a lot of these churches that are kind of just these big non noms. We moved to the Amarillo Canyon area when I was in second grade. So it's only in the DFW area for a little while. Then we pretty much went to a church called Trinity Fellowship Church. And that's where I pretty much spent the majority of my life is going to this church. Up until what age? Mm, probably, let's see, till 20, 
about four, 2013, 2014, sometime okay. in that range. So it would have been around the time my son was born. So maybe like 25-ish, kind of that time of age range. And uh, this was just a non-denominational church. They were charismatic. And this is how they self-described. They described themselves as Baptocostal. So they said that they were Baptist in doctrine, but charismatic or Pentecostal in giftings. That's crazy, because I, I remember being at my old IFB church, and they would always mention Bapticostals, but they would like mock, they, they would talk about churches or Baptists that get a little too wild in the South, and they, they're kind of like running up and down the aisles. Yeah. But they would call them, Bap- I, I thought it was the name that the old IFB gave them just to kind of like mock them, but this is, that's what, that's yeah, how they the identified themselves. As. Yeah, the pastors got up and said, like, we want to clarify where we stand. And we want to make it clear that we're, we're Baptist in doctrine, but we're Pentecostal in, like, gifting, so we consider ourselves Bapticostal. Wow. And I was just like, I'd never really heard that. That's all I'm kind of exposed to. And, in fact, our church was a little weird. Like, we had ladies that would, like, carry the flags, and they would, like, spin and wave with them during worship services. So, like, like they're going <laughs> like up and the down American the aisle. Like the American flag? No, no, no. Oh. Like, they, have, they would dress in all white, and they would have, like, these white banners and flags and stuff, and they would just, like dance up and down the aisle and it was just a worship free-for-all and like you it was taboo you weren't allowed to say it was weird but like everyone thought it was weird you know like everyone's kind of like trying to walk around the person like okay you know whatever but then they would try to like defend it they would say like now we here we let people just kind of worship however they see fit oh man and so there was a lot of just it was just kind of a free-for-all so honestly they they would take white flags and just dance around during the scene yeah, like they'd go up and down the aisle and they just kind of dance and they would twirl and spin and just like, it was really bizarre. It's very distracting. <laughs> yes. I mean, me as a kid, like I just thought like, okay, that's weird. I'm not involved in it, but I just didn't pay attention. It was yeah. just, but I mean, I noticed it obviously. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the church was weird. It had a lot of weird stuff, but it was mostly just, you know, surface level. And they, they would say good things, but then they would also teach a lot of false doctrine. And, and a lot of it was just out of both sides of their mouth. So they mm. would say salvation is by faith alone. But then they would kind of teach a lordship salvation alongside of that. And they would teach, like, once saved, always saved. But then they'd have a guest preacher come and, like, contradict that. Yeah. So it was just kind of like anything and everything. Would they would they ever do, like, exorcisms or anything like that? Like, no. people? I mean, there was a class. I—, I I was, class. I was going to lots of classes. I was very involved in the church, so I'd do all kinds of different things. There was a class where you could kind of learn how to be um, empowered oh. in your giftings. And it wasn't specific to that, but it was, okay. it was like, broader. Mm-hmm. But that would be, like, an option. So, like, you could end up um, getting the gift of interpreting of tongues or of tongues or of, like, casting out demons or, like, those kind of things. So it was just kind of, like... Where, what team do you want to be on in the church? And there would be teams that would make visits and stuff and do, I don't know what they were doing, but it was just like weird. Like they, you talk about a team of exorcists? They wouldn't say that, but okay. they, they would call it something <clears throat> like, I don't even know what, they, like a power team or something, but they would just <laughs> go to pray for anybody and it would be broad. So it'd be like someone could be just sick and they're just going and just laying hands on that person to pray that they would get healed. But a power team. But it could be like, is extreme as like an exorcism or or weird things, and sometimes these these preachers or pastors would come up with these wild stories. Were they allowed to choose their own group names or what? 
Yeah, it was kind of. I mean, the naming of this church was weird. But I mean, <laughs> I'm just I, saying, like, if it was like, we're the Power Rangers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there were some weird names. But there, I remember in the youth group, it was way more wild. And I remember a, a pastor came, and the youth department would always be like, there was a new pastor like every year. So like, the, no one ever stuck. And, you know, it's always mm. just random people, and sometimes it's really weird people. Is it because they quit, or like they had some headquarters that just like send... scandals and oh, quitting yeah. and just. Yeah everything you could imagine basically um but one of the pastors got up and said that he went to africa it's always in africa but he went to africa (laughs) and this guy died and they're at a funeral or a wake and he's he says that the lord told him to pick the body up out of the casket and throw it against the wall (laughs) and and he's like he's like no i can't do that that's not appropriate (laughs) and then he's like but then the lord told me to do it so then he says he picks the body up and throws it against the wall three times, and then the guy came back to life. And no one's doing anything about it. During, after, after the first time, he just everyone's just looking at him do this? I don't know, but I'm like, here's the thing. I'm like a kid. You know, I'm like <clears throat> 10 years old or 11 years old, and like it, it was just really weird because you, you kind of want to trust the authority, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I remember stories like that. I'm thinking like, this is weird. <clears throat> yeah. But that was a lot of what they did. They sensationalized everything. Everyone at the church that's in leadership always acted like God just constantly talking their ear and they mm-hmm. just have this like personal relationship with him in the sense yeah. that like all they have to do is just talk to him on a phone basically. Yeah. Not like through the scripture, but mm-hmm. just like this audio, they're yeah. hearing him. And I just remember as a child growing up, like I always just wanted that. I just wanted to talk to God or like have him talk to me. And they would always say like, you just get in your room alone. And you just get really quiet and just like kind of meditate and then God will just speak to you. And so like, I just remember doing that all the time. Like I would read the Bible and I'd pray and then I would just try to just sit quietly and just like wait and just hope that like I would hear this voice or like God would talk to me or something like that. But it just never happened. And so it it just really played a lot of like, it messed me up because I just like, I would think, like, am I not saved or something? Mm-hmm. Or, like, why is everybody else able to do this, but I can't? Or is God mad at me? Or, like, and it wasn't that I thought I wasn't saved because I didn't understand the gospel, but I'm just like, why is it working for everybody else, yeah. but doesn't work for me? Yeah. And it was just, like, super confusing. It's funny you say that because, like, <clears throat> I remember um, going to, like, an apostolic church before I got saved, and um, they were charismatic. They spoke in tongues and all that. And the my friends that were there, who invited me to go there, they all spoke in tongues, and I remember them making like a really big deal about that. Like you have to speak in tongues yeah. to communicate with God, and for God to communicate through you, and all these things. And it kind of really it bothered me that I wasn't able to do it. And I I remember being in the in the service, and just kind of you know everyone would be speaking in tongues, and I just I think I was like I don't know fourteen or something like that, and just kind of putting my head down. And just like trying, and it just wouldn't come. And I remember kind of being disappointed in myself, just thinking like, why does it? Why is it happening to everyone else but me? Or why can't I do this? They it seems to come to them so easily, or they're able to do it. And I was just like, well, I don't. It it just really bothered me the fact that God wasn't using me to speak in tongues. But obviously, it's a good thing because you know maybe some of these people were actually demonically possessed speaking in tongues, you know, but I can relate to the fact that it bothered me, the fact that it wouldn't happen to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, our church, 
a lot most people spoke in tongues and you know my perspective on on tongue speaking is a little bit different just because i grew up in it that i think that some of these churches like the bethels of california where they're barking like a dog and Mm -hmm. some of that i think that is demonic possession but i think that 90 plus percent just faking it yeah it's 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 a fake thing but they think it's real though it's not like they're truly uh doing something that they don't believe in they believe in it because when i was around 12 10 12 years old um they took me to a a student camp and there was all of us in the room like 30 of us students and they just basically said okay we're gonna we're gonna lay hands on you guys and you're all gonna speak in tongues and it was just like okay and and it kind of became this event where you had to speak in tongues to leave the room to leave the room? Yeah. Oh, they didn't yeah. say that, but like <clears throat> essentially what would happen is if a kid spoke in tongues, then he got to leave. Mm. But but everybody else is just there until it happens, right? And I just remember myself like I, I was really skeptical and kind of weirded out by the thing. But it means being forced on me in mm. this particular event. I'm by myself with all these camp counselors and stuff like that. And they're trying to get everybody to do it. And I said, okay, well, if this is real, then I'll just let it happen, right? So I just kind of stood there. And everyone does it and leaves. And it's just me with all these camp counselors by myself. <laughs> and I'm just standing here and they just keep praying and laying hands on me. And they're just like, you know, let it happen. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, nothing's happening. And, and I, I was just, I felt very uncomfortable. And then finally, one of the camp counselors, he just kind of like whispers in my ear. And he just says, hey, you actually have to like talk yourself. And, and then, and then like the Holy Spirit will like come upon you or whatever and so but here's the thing like everybody just kind of repeats the speech pattern Mm. that everybody else was saying and so you just kind of do the same thing you just kind of say some gibberish and then they're like oh you're filled with the spirit and then you you walk out right that's funny so i just remember through that encounter like being still very skeptical and just not knowing like is that like is this real did i i don't even understand it It really freaked me out. Yeah. But, like, my parents were really into it. And I kind of got into the point where I was later in life where I kind of thought maybe it was real, and so I would still try it and stuff. But I just – it wasn't anything special. Like, it would just be like if you just spoke any kind of gibberish or any kind of foreign language or you said anything. Yeah. It would be kind of like singing a song without words to it. Hmm. And that's the kind of feeling that you would get from it. And I thought that, I thought that maybe there was something spiritual related to it. Kind of, you know, my dad would use the verse in Romans chapter number eight, which talks about the Holy Ghost making intercession for us, yeah, with, with groanings which groanings cannot be, be uttered. uttered. Yeah, and that would be his proof text for that um, speaking in tongues thing mm-hmm. or whatever. But once I started like finding uh, a lot of different preachers that. I realized like my church was wrong on things and the Bible actually teaches different, a lot of this stuff. I really studied that topic about speaking in tongues and I realized it's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And by the time that I kind of started studying this, I ended up, I wasn't even doing it anyways. And so it just became a thing where I just completely stopped and was like, this is dumb. This isn't real. Yeah. It was, it's, it's not honoring to God. And so, you know, what's funny is you said <clears throat> that the camp, the camp counselor kind of, whispered in your ear and said, hey, you kind of have to, like, talk. Yeah, right. I had a similar experience. I went to, um, it, it was my aunt, and she was she was a Pentecostal, and and um, she took me to her Pentecostal church, and I was there with my cousins, 
And they were doing like full blown exorcisms and stuff in oh, there. Man. Yeah, it was it was really scary. And I think I was like eleven or twelve. And everyone was going up to the front to kind of like lay hands on them and just kind of like get them to speak in tongues or uh, exercise the demon out of them or whatever. And I was just sitting in the back and I'm just like kind of like looking around like this is crazy, you know. <laughs> and and then my aunt's like, you need to go up to the front. And I'm like, oh, you know, Tia, I don't you know, really want to go. And and she's just like, no, you need to go. You know, it, it'll I don't know if she said like they'll exercise the demons out of you or something, but she pressured me into going. So I went to the front and there was like a bunch of people in the front. And um, I remember just looking and this one lady just like fell to the ground and just started kind of like seizuring. And they're just like praying over her. And I, I'm like, I'm like looking at her and I'm just like, this is crazy. And they actually end up taking her to the back. So throughout the entire service, you could just hear her yelling in the back, you know, cause she's being exercised. But the person who was like laying hands on me, there's two people right next to me. And then there's a the main guy who was like laying his hand on my forehead and he's like praying. And I'm just like, I, I just close my eyes and I'm just kind of like listening and He's praying and he's he's like kind of like pushing my head, you know, and he's pushing and he's pushing and then he pushed to the point where I just kind of took a step back. Yeah, and then he actually went up and he whispered in my ear like he said something to the extent of like either let yourself fall or this is where you need to fall. And I was just like I don't want to fall. Like yeah. I just told him I'm like no I'm I'm okay. And then I just kind of stopped and I went to go sit down. But I remember thinking to myself when I was twelve like why would they have to tell me that. Right. I mean, and it really bothered me. And I never went back to my aunt's Pentecostal church. But I just thought that was funny because they, they did the same thing to you. It's like when someone doesn't play according to the rules, they're just like, hey, this is where you need to like kind of do this. Right. And I mean, most people do, though. Yeah. And so but I mean, I, I really tried to like be objective about it and just try to study it. And what, what I notice about the speaking in tongues is people in these churches all speak the same. Hmm. But it's different from another church. So, like, they'll all just have, like, a Hebrew-type just weird gibberish. Whereas you go to another one, it's, like, click noises and, like, hmm. weird, you know, kind of sounds. But, like, within that church, they all sound the same because it's, like, a man-taught speech pattern. Mm-hmm. And, and I even noticed with, like, with people in my family that would do this, they always said the exact same things in the exact same patterns. Hmm. And, and I'm thinking, like, well, if this was special, wouldn't you be saying, like, different things to God? Like, why would you always be just saying the exact same phrases yeah. or if this is an angelic language? Right. And why is every church have a completely different-sounding dialect, but it's all the same in that one church? It's yeah. because that one church, you have one guy just kind of spread his weird nonsense gibberish to everybody. And everyone's just using the same and pattern. They, yeah, and exactly. And they just kind of sound the same. So some sound kind of Hebrew. Some kind of sound like an African click language. <laughs> Some sound like more like baby gibberish. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a weird hodgepodge. But most, for the most part, churches all kind of sound the same to each other. Mm-hmm. But like the church that I was going to, the stuff that you're describing would have never happened or it would have been such a rarity. It would have been weird. Everyone would have freaked out by it. Because most people going to the church weren't even charismatic at all. Hmm. It's it's bringing in Catholics, it's bringing in Methodists, it's bringing in Cowboy Church. It's bring you know it's just kind of like a cl- Cowboy a, Church. Yeah. What is that? You don't know what a Cowboy Church is? I don't know. What okay, so in Texas they have Cowboy Churches, <laughs> and and it's literally a giant rodeo arena, and there's a church right next to it, 
and all the people that go are only cowboys, and then they have rodeo right after the service. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's called. It'll be called literally just a cowboy church. Are they like doctrinally sound churches or no? They're just... they're, they're like hardcore works. Oh, okay. all of them are hardcore works. They're probably. I mean, they're probably similar to a Baptist in a lot of ways as far as like doctrinally, but then they're just hardcore works. So like maybe a Church of Christ or a Nazarene or something like that. It's kind of a blend of of that. But Cowboy yeah. Church. So this is a thing in Texas. It's called Cowboy Church. Oh, yeah, they're everywhere. <clears throat> there's Cowboy Churches. Yeah, there's one that I even reached out to a guy because he was preaching against um, the AIDS community, mm-hmm. and he has, like, thousands of people that come to his church. And they, I mean, it's it's a big deal. <laughs> like, and they all wear their belt buckle and their hat and their boots, yeah. and, like, it's, like, a big deal. Wow. So after church, they just go ride horses? Yeah, they have, like, rodeo or do cowboy bull. things or whatever, bull yeah. riding or, you know, wow. whatever. You can't get more Texas than that. That's I mean, crazy. it's like, uh, we should have golf church. We play golf. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, skater church. But that stuff exists. Like, there's skater churches and hip-hop churches and, like, and the church that I was going to is trying to do that on a mini level because um, they have, like, life groups is what they would call them. Mm-hmm. But then they would try to have your life group centered around an activity. So you'd have like a group that skates and they would be like the skater group mm. and you'd have like the, and they had a skate park in the church. Our church is like the powerlifting Yeah, church. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all's life group would be powerlifting <laughs> for sure. And I did a, I did a student group where I taught basketball, like I did basketball and then taught the Bible. So mm. like I'd have a bunch of kids come and they had a gym there and we'd play basketball for half an hour and then I would teach like a lesson. Re- oh, okay. I see how it works. And so okay. it's kind of like you're, it's trying to, you know, engage people and draw people into the church by yeah. just saying, hey, come play basketball with us. But then you kind of like bring up some Bible things or mm-hmm. whatever. And instead of having a Wednesday night's Bible study, <clears throat> that's what they do as a replacement. I see. And that's how Cowboy Church works? Well, no, Cowboy Church is just like a big version of that, if you think about it. It's just like basically we just, you know, have rodeo <laughs> or whatever it is that they do. And then just everybody that's kind of semi-cowboy goes to that church. Wow, that's funny. I never heard of that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre but again it's uh, that's what i think modern christianity is today it's not really unifying around biblical doctrine it's unifying around like interests or mm-hmm. hobbies or demographics like you have in texas and a lot of areas like black churches yeah where it's like it's not really about doctrine it's just that everybody there's black yeah and i remember even listening to one of these church services because i was looking at their website <clears> and kind of <throat> seeing what this guy was preaching and he was, like, even kind of, like, making fun of white people coming to their church or something like that. But I was just, like, I mean, I liked a lot of what he was preaching, but then he was just kind of making fun of that. And I was, like, that's just kind of weird that you would isolate your church to just, like, only black people or something. Do they call themselves Baptists or? No, it's called Adamant <clears throat> Believers Council. But there is a lot of black churches that are Baptists. They're missionary Baptists. Yeah. Well, before, I never even heard of Independent Fundamental Baptist. I just figured every Baptist church was a black church. And... When I was invited to an independent fundamental Baptist, it was by a white lady. And when she told me she goes to a, a she she was going to a Baptist church, I kind of scoffed at it. I'm like, "But you're like white though, you know?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, so is my pastor." And I was like, "Your pastor is white, and he's a pastor of a Baptist church?" Cuz I never heard of anything other than like a missionary Baptist church. Yeah. Which are primarily obviously black people. Right. But that's the first time I've ever heard of a fundamental Baptist. Is when someone was inviting me to a church, but, um, and I figured like even Southern Baptist churches are black churches. 
Well, they're predominantly white. Yeah, like, I didn't know that. Because of their history. Because I, I had preached a sermon, and I can't remember the name of it, but I, I traced Baptist lineage all the way to Steadfast Baptist Church. It was just like the goal of the sermon. Mm-hmm. And so like it kind of technically started in, in Europe with a guy named John Smith. Was like, are, were you, are, do you, are you a Baptist brighter or what? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just from a secular history perspective, like <clears throat> people using the label Baptist, it's mm-hmm. like supposedly traces back to a guy named John Smith in like you're in um, England or something. Mm-hmm. And then like the first Baptist in America is like Roger. Roger Williams. Robert, yeah, Roger <clears throat> Williams. And then in Rhode Island. I think there was like 12, 15 Baptist churches that are all kind of like loosely associated. But then because of racial tensions, they ended up kind of dividing eventually into, like, the Southern Baptist Convention and Mm -hmm. the Northern Baptist churches. Yeah. And because the Northern Baptists were more pro, obviously, uh, not being racist, essentially, and pro-black people, that's where you get a lot of those missionary Baptist churches were spawning out of that Northern Baptist movement, Mm. whereas the Southern Baptist movement was really strong on on slavery because— they had a missionary who was a slave owner and the Northern Baptist churches said that they were not going to support him financially because they thought that was wicked to give their money to an evangelist that was a slave owner. Mm -hmm. And the South said that's an attack on the gospel that they won't fund the slave owning evangelist. What? So they had a, they had a convention Mm -hmm. and they, they separated and that's where the Southern Baptist convention was formed Hmm. was based on slavery. So, there was not black people, <laughs> a lot of black people going to these Southern Baptist churches yeah. for a long time. Now, obviously, they kind of slowly softened on that particular issue, and yeah. it's changed. But, yeah, most Southern Baptist churches are predominantly white. white. Yeah, Roger Williams is the guy who baptized himself. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> and he's not necessarily the first Baptist pastor. He, he um, He's known as being one of the first, but there's actually, like, another guy— What's his What's his name? Do you remember his name? What? John Clark, John Clark was actually the first one. Okay. Um, but Roger Williams is probably the most popular one as far as like what people know to be like the first one because I think he was in Rhode Island, and then um, the guy who was responsible for starting like a ton of churches like in the South was actually his name was Shubal Stearns, and he kind of started like under a tree with the congregation. He was formerly like a Congregationalist, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then like a Baptist got him saved. And then he ended up switching to becoming a Baptist. And then, he, like, out of his church, obviously he didn't, out of his church came 5,000 churches, but obviously he wasn't the one who started the 5,000. It's right. just like they, he started these churches and those churches started churches. And that's where they were to credit the, the Bible Belt coming from, is from that guy. Okay. But, it, I mean, he was, you know, as far as I know, he was doctrinally sound. He was a saved guy from what the history says. And um, when you when you read about them, like these, these um, I think they call them like separate Baptists. They kind, they sound like new IFP guys. Like they sound like new IFP pastors, only because like they were, they would preach against a congregationalist like Deal Moody, who was a congregationalist. Yeah, they would often show up to like his camp meetings, and and he would actually take like uh, Deal Moody would like take questions. He would do like a Q and A, and then people would ask him doctrinal questions, and then the Baptist was like, "Why are you baptizing babies?" And he'd be like, next question. Because you know, <laughs> oh, he didn't want to like... But he was responsible for converting a lot of the congregationalists to become Baptists. And so... And they would always like... <clears throat> they, they, they said that um, they knew who the Baptists were, 
because when the Baptists would come into town, most of the preachers in those days would wear wigs. Um, like, uh, you know, like the Jonathan Edwards yeah, type guys. <clears throat> they would wear these wigs. But they knew the Baptists because they looked more rugged. They say they look more manly. They would come on horses and, and broad brim hats type of a thing. And they were more coarse in their language. Well, you know, some <laughs> people have some interesting ways to speak, you know. Yeah. Paul said that his speech was contemptible is what the, the accusation they made against him and that he was rude. Yeah. Do I be rude in speech? <laughs> not yet not in knowledge. Exactly. Right? Well, I mean, my my view on history as far as, as Baptists and churches and stuff is I my personal philosophy is that churches have gotten better over time that like as time has gone on yeah that churches have had an opportunity because of of having more knowledge more information that like the baptist churches have gotten a little bit better and more doctrinally sound over time because you kind of we're kind of like spinning out of the dark ages from you know into the renaissance or to the reformation and then Mm -hmm. And then from that, we have a lot of churches coming over here and kind of uh, you have the divisions between the Northern and Southern Baptists. But to me, it keeps getting better because like even the Southern Baptists, that's where you get some of the greatest preachers coming out of it. Like Jack Hiles was ordained yeah. a Southern Baptist preacher. And you had um, J. Frank Norris yeah. that was also kind of left the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. And they were both very instrumental in independent funnel of Baptist churches. Yeah becoming a thing or becoming popular or a lot of churches were started because of Jack Hiles. And I kind of tied that with Pastor Anderson eventually going to that college, being trained and going and starting a church. And so I don't think that I can personally detach myself from Southern Baptists and stuff like that as saying like there's probably some roots there, there's probably some history there. But my viewpoint is that just churches have constantly been getting better yeah. And and I look at it like Hezekiah, where when he is finally gonna perform the Passover, it's like they they did it really well or better than they'd done in the past because they finally did it like it's written. Yeah. You know, there's a phrase where it's like they did it as is written. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at it like the new IFB is kind of taking a lot of the good that we've been handed down, but then we're just like doing exactly like what's written and it's like better. Yeah. And in my philosophy is that there's no cap on church becoming better. Some people like to think like, oh, we got to go back to this time in the past when church was actually really good and get back to there. But I think that we can actually get better than what the past was like and do bigger works or greater. That works. There's no there's no <clears throat> cap, yeah. as it were, as to how good our church could be and that it could arguably be better than some of the really good churches of the past. There's nothing stopping us. You know, I've actually never thought about that, but I do agree with you on that because um, I would have these frustrations when studying, like, churches in times past where it seems as though, like, they were right in certain areas, but they weren't on others that that would be very obvious to us to be right on. and Or they had certain practices that, you know, just seemed kind of off. And it's just like, man, these churches were great churches, but they had these doctrinal issues or they weren't strong on this particular doctrine and it would make sense that you know the the more into the future we're getting into or the the closer we get to the second coming of christ the churches should get better right and especially now because of technology we have more information available to us you have more pastors in churches that have made mistakes so to speak that we can learn from that they should get better not become worse because i think i've always heard that 
we've gotten away from New Testament Christianity. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Like people will often say, like we've gotten away from you know the old paths and, and Old Testament Christianity, um, but they don't really point to a specific thing. They always have these like ambiguous examples of just like <clears throat> you know we don't love as much, or or they were more fiery back then, or they were more on fire for God or whatever. But you can't really like. There's no meter to that though. You don't really know that. You know what I mean? Whereas the way I determine if a church is on fire for God, are they evangelizing? Are they getting people saved? Are people in the churches turning to righteousness? Are they cleaning up their lives? Is the preaching doctrinal? Is it fiery? Is it making an impact? Then, you know, that church is on fire for God, you know? And obviously you can't... I'm not saying the churches like that didn't exist back then because we don't believe in church ages or anything where it's just like all churches behaved in this specific manner in this particular era. I'm sure there's churches that were doctrinally sound and fiery and all that. But what I'm saying is, like, I think because of technology and because of the Internet and our ability to be able to communicate with other pastors and to travel to different areas, like, we are able to do greater works than those of the past as well. Well, technology And then information, amazing. yeah. Information is just available. Like, you can listen to sermons. I can listen to so many sermons in a day. Yeah. Plus, I can search the Bible with, like, the internet, or I can uh, do Bible searching software. Yeah. And of course that's going to help. Like, it's not that there's anything wrong with doing those type of things, mm-hmm. growing, studying more. We can, we can analyze the Bible at a, a much higher level than before. But I even just, I've, I've thought a lot about this and I've preached several sermons on it. So like, I was trying to think like, is this biblical? Because there's always this, this uh, phrase or this idea out there like, well, let's go back to the church in Acts chapter two. Like, let's go back. But then I think about it practically, and I'm like, the church in Acts 2 was a mess. Like, the churches kept getting better in the New Testament. Yeah. And they constantly had lots of problems that they had to solve. And from a practical perspective, it's, it's, it's kind of weird to think that a church <clears throat> where you have a whole group of people that were completely unsaved, worshiping false gods, and then the next day they're saved, that that's going to be the best church that you've ever seen. Yeah. You would think... No, actually, once these people have been plugged into church, reading the Bible, going soul winning, doing the works for a long time, then the church could actually be a lot better than when it started. And and to me, it's kind of like our church plants. Like, I don't think that Pure Words Baptist Church or Steadfast Baptist Church was the best day one. It keeps getting better. Mm -hmm. We get to add more people into the repertoire. Our soul winning is getting better. We're doing bigger works, greater works. Like, even coming this time to preach for you guys, like, your orchestra was great. But when I came the first time, there wasn't an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to me, it's like the church is getting better. Yeah. It's not waxing. It's not It's not waxing worse or declining. And we're not talking about, like, doctrine either. We're talking about from, like, an administrative perspective, right? Like, even the administration gets better. Organization gets better. Like, the like we, we shouldn't go back to Acts chapter 2, for an example. But Acts chapter 2 was still better than what Jesus and his disciples had. Right, where they're like they're still kind of putting it together. Well, they understand the gospel better, yeah, as evidenced, and they they get the Holy Spirit filling. Mm-hmm. So they and they understand the Holy Spirit a lot better. Right. But I'm just saying, like, even me personally, though, like, if you're going to say is Pastor Shelley a worse or better preacher than when he started? Does he know more or less of the Bible than when he started? I would say that I know more. Yeah. And I'm better equipped mm-hmm. now. So even from a doctrinal perspective, we're kind of splitting hairs. It's not like. 
I changed all my doctrine or anything necessarily, but did I tighten some things Your up? Your knowledge is increasing. Yeah, explain things better, mm-hmm. understand things more. Yeah, I think so. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the more we go into the future, our churches should theoretically even get a little bit better yeah. on doctrine, even if it's only 0.1% mm-hmm. or, or whatever that is. Like I hope that our church continues that trend of getting better and better. And, and we get closer to the coming of Christ— I think we're going to understand end times Bible prophecy even more. Yeah. Like more will make sense. We will have less predictions that are just kind of off the wall. There will be more like in line with exactly what's going to happen, and we'll just kind of be seeing it unfolding before our eyes. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think we know more about end times prophecy today than many Baptists knew probably like 50 years ago. Yeah. And aside from the fact of just studying things out more and, and learning the Bible more, it's just current events kind of shed light on a lot of what's going on in end times Bible prophecy, and it helps us to kind of see things more clearly. Because you know, you think about you know a hundred years ago when they think about the mark of the beast, they think, well, what, what, how does that work? You know, how right. would that? But now that would make a lot more sense if you think of a chip or Neuralink or something like that. Like just the technology sheds more light on you know what's going to happen in the future. The closer we get to it, well, in modern science, I mean, just the fact that understanding things like germ theory mm-hmm. or understanding. Um, how travel was going to increase. You know, the Bible talked about how travel was going to increase. Well, people might not have understood what that meant before airplanes, uh, railroad, and vehicles, and all these other modes of transportation that have really exploded. The idea of traveling across the world in a single day might have seemed impossible to people. Mm -hmm. Or just television, uh, TVs, phones, how everyone in the whole world could be watching a singular event in one part of the globe, like that might've seemed too far fetched. So I, I just, again, my thought process is that as a church, we're not capped by some limit of the past of like, this is how good our church can get. It's like our church could theoretically just keep getting better and better and better. And we should strive to be the best that we can to follow the Bible as it's written, not necessarily what tradition dictates, but what does the Bible dictate yeah. and, and doing it that way? And then, too, you know, like as a church um, grows, you know, it, it, it remains for years on end. Like you think of families that grow and then you start bearing second and third generation Christians who kind of already have these principles and these doctrines embedded into their families. And it just becomes like the norm of believing these things like the quality does get better. Because, right. you know, right now we have a lot of churches that are just first generation Christians. Yeah. But then when you start getting into the second and third generation, I mean, that that only appro- improves a church. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think of, like, for example, my wife, okay, who's a second-generation Christian. She kind of went into church planning with me already knowing a lot of things about church administration and organization because she grew up that way already. Right. So it kind of, we're kind of, like, ahead in, in the game in certain areas because of the fact that she's already experienced a lot of these things. We were already a part of that, you know. So you think of a church that has been around for 50-plus years or something, who started many churches, they have a third-generation, fourth-generation Christians or whatever it may be. You know, these people already, they don't have to go through a lot of the struggles that we went through to just learn administration or organization. They kind of already know these things. Yeah, I would think that my children or children that grow up in our churches that end up wanting to become a pastor or evangelist, like they're going to be better equipped than I was having to kind of learn the hard way about doctrine yeah. and, and a lot of these things. 
obviously there's benefits to that because I have a lot of experience about what's out there mm-hmm. and I don't have to learn through someone else. I can learn through experience. But at the same time, I think it's better to have a good testimony and have been raised in independent fellow Baptist. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that they could have a major impact and they could make church better too. There's, I'm not going to limit them and say like, oh, you couldn't be as good as yeah. dad or pops or whatever. They yeah. could potentially be better as long as we continue to teach them, train them. Well, the Bible the refers Bible. to them as like arrows. You know, you think of an arrow goes farther than where you can go. Yeah. You know, and it, just like a really uh, practical illustration would be like, you know, you have a first generation Christian family, right? They, the dad gets saved, the mom gets saved, and they start singing in church or something. And they're not really good at singing. You know what I mean? They just kind of don't know how to sing the hymns. But when they raise their children in church, though, their children are going to be like some awesome vocalists in the future because they grow up singing. It already It's already a part of their life. Whereas us, we have to kind of like learn how right. to sing. We have to learn the hymns. We have to learn these things. Whereas them, it's just already a part of their life from, from the time that they were born and up, you know? So again, an encouragement would be the young generation that they can be better and that parents should encourage their children to be better than they are, Absolutely. not try to cap it at dad. Like yeah. No one can be dad. It's like, well, why don't we strive to do better? Yeah. And and that was a big motivation for me to get into doctrine, even becoming new IFB, is thinking about children. Because I, I, we waited to have kids and uh, that wasn't the right decision, but we didn't know any better and and uh we waited but eventually we got pregnant and around that time i kind of started thinking about my kids and i started thinking like if i don't change my life like my kids are going to be just like me and make a lot of the mistakes that i did and go down paths that i wish they did they wouldn't Mm -hmm. and so i kind of was motivated to like learn the bible better and just be a better person yeah for my kids sake yeah and that's what kind of caused me to start studying the Bible itself and looking up different preachers. And I started realizing my church was wrong about a lot of things. And the the biggest catalyst was young earth creationalism. I'd never heard about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually was exposed to it by Ken Ham, the mm. guy that has the Ark. Yeah, I know who that is. Um, he was debating Bill Nye and they were promoting a debate between these two guys for like a year in advance. So I think their debate was sometime around the end of 2014 or maybe the beginning of 2015, somewhere in that timeline. But they were promoting it way early because, mm-hmm. you know, they want a lot of people to follow it. And I saw one of the posters, and I, I knew who Bill Nye was, but I didn't know who Ken Ham was. And I thought, like, this seems like a really important debate, which it wasn't. But mm-hmm. I just, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, this is a big deal. And I was like, I want to look up this Ken Ham guy because I hope he's not a bozo because mm-hmm. this seems like a big deal. And Bill Nye needs to get shut down, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started looking up his information. He was talking a lot about young earth creationalism. His ministry is called Answer in Genesis. And I liked a lot of the material just because I'd never been exposed to it. But then I, I remember seeing somebody in a comment say, oh, Kent Hovind's way better. Mm-hmm. And so I went and looked up Kent Hovind, and I agreed. I thought, like, wow, he's a lot better at articulating these things. And he was King James only. And that's what actually exposed me to King James onlyism was Kent Hovind. And he made, like, a 17- or 18-minute video where he just explained how there was differences. And I think one of the first examples he used was how the NIV said, Elhanan, the son of Jehoragim, slew Goliath. Whereas the King James says that he slew the brother of Goliath. And I just instantly became King James only in that moment. Hmm. Like it was just, I had never really been exposed to King James onlyism or anything. And I used different Bibles. I used the NIV, New King James, things like that. But I just instantly was just like, oh, wow. And then I started researching it and became more and more 
like understanding of that doctrine. Yeah. But what confused me is that when I would show other people how there was differences in the Bible, they didn't care. Like it really, it really shook me to my core because I would like walk up to family members or people and I'd be like, look, see how this is saying something different or like this is saying somebody else killed Goliath. Like you can't use that Bible. And they just like, oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? And it just really, it was really confusing to me. Mm-hmm. For some reason, apathy just makes no sense to me. Like I get being backslidden. Yeah. I cannot understand apathy. It's like yeah. the most infuriating emotion. I get so frustrated by it and I don't even know how to fix it. If I was a, if I could learn one thing, it would be to learn how to fix people's apathy. Yeah. Cause that just infuriates me. But that's kind of what got me on a train of just like studying the Bible, realizing my church was wrong on things or was lacking in teaching these things. And that eventually led me to listening to Sam Gipp and James White. Cause they Man, were the you, only two people. You went I could through find. all the bad people. <laughs> oh, there's probably more too. Yeah. <laughs> But Sam Gipp, he had some good information on the King James Bible. Well, obviously, I think he's a heretic. I don't, uh, I don't like Sam Gipp. But at the time, just contrasted with James White, who's like the devil incarnate almost, it yeah. seems like. It, it felt like Sam Gipp was a good guy. Yeah. And, but there was a video. It was titled, like, Response to James White's Response to Sam Gipp. And it was Stephen Anderson. It was Pastor Anderson was the video. And I watched it, and it was like seven minutes, and the video quality was the worst video quality I've ever seen. But the content was really good. He was just like standing behind one of his murals or something, and he, he started quoting Beowulf. Oh, I remember that And video. then making fun of James White's pronunciation of words like, uh, he was like a doe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, choler is yeah. what like he said instead of collar. And so like he's making fun of him not being able to pronounce words that were in the King James. And I was like, well, that was a really good video. So then I started watching Pastor Anderson's preaching. And uh, it was kind of the first time I really was exposed to independent fundamental Baptist preaching. Was that in 2014? Sometime in that, yeah, I think it was in 2014. You had been married for, at that point? Five years. Okay. Yeah, we had been married for five years. I had still been going to Trinity Fellowship Mm -hmm. all through that time. But I started questioning my church a lot. I I was involved in a student group. And I was trying to get kids saved in there. And so a lot of my research was also like how to, the best way to present the gospel and stuff. And when I finally found Pastor Anderson, he really emphasized the soul winning and things like that. So yeah. I really started modeling a lot of his soul winning and yeah. tried to learn how to preach the gospel the way he did, like to Dave Burzins and his little uh, yeah. mini video or something like that. And uh, I, didn't, I still didn't even know independent funnel Baptist churches existed. Like, in my mind, only Southern Baptist churches existed. Did you think he was a Southern Baptist? I didn't even know. I didn't really think about it. Oh, okay. And then until start listening to his preaching, then eventually he kind of made a distinction about independent funnel Baptist, and I was like, oh, what is that? And then I looked up, and there was like eight in my area. I had never known these churches existed, <laughs> but they were mostly all bad. They were like Ruckmanite or like weird things. Yeah. But I just was like, you know, I, maybe I should try one of these churches and I approached our leadership at the, the Trinity Fellowship Church about, like, King James Onlyism, things like that. And I could tell they were really off. They, they said that was the most ignorant doctrine they've ever heard in their life. And so we just left the church and just started trying, like, all kinds of Baptist churches. We were trying some independent fe- fundamentals, some other Southern Baptist. And really, it was, just, it was, it was frustrating because no churches were very good in our area. 
and it, it became kind of like contention between me and my wife just because like we just couldn't find a good church and it was just like it was frustrating we didn't know where to go but eventually we ended up finding a church there that was independent funnel baptist they were king james only yeah they're pre-trib and stuff like that but it was like really a blessing to us because it was so refreshing to be around people that just even cared mm-hmm. about the bible and so we kind of got started getting plugged in there and i was listening to pastor anderson a lot and I kind of decided um, that maybe I wanted to be a pastor only because I'd gone through that really hard phase of not finding a church. Because when not finding a church, I'm just like, man, like, why is there no good churches in our area? Like, if no one's going to do it, I'm like, I guess, I mean, I'll do it. But then I realized, like, I can't just start a church out of a vacuum. Like, that's not biblical, right? Mm-hmm. So I approached the pastor at the independent Funnel Baptist church. I was like, Hey, would you train me to be a pastor? And he's like, I would, but I'm retiring. He's like, you need to ask the next guy. Hmm. So then the next guy came in and I approached him and he's like, well, I'll do it, but it's going to take a really long time. And I'm kind of hands off, but he's like, the one thing I'm really good at is preaching a sermon. And so I was just like, okay. And so he was training me, but he never did anything. And we, went to steadfast one year anniversary service. So we lived like six hours away. We drove down to Pastor Romero's uh, one year anniversary service. Pastor Anderson was preaching on a Friday night. And so we drove down there and I got to hear him preach in person. But the week that we were gone that Sunday, our pastor got up in the pulpit and said, Hey guys, I'm really struggling preaching and I don't feel comfortable preaching anymore. So I'm going to just read my sermons. Will you pray for me? But we didn't hear that. So we come back and I kid you not, like the the pastor would get up and it would just he would just read from a paper for about fifteen minutes. And they added like four or five extra special musics. Because they already had a lot of special music, but it would be like it was like four hymns and like four special musics and they did like three announcement times. So they did like announce at the beginning. Just to kind of fill up in the time. Well, because the kids' church wasn't over yet. So a lot of times we were waiting on the kids' church. They were preaching longer at the kids' church. Then. Yeah, the kids' program was longer than the main service. Man. So we had to like stretch, stretch it out. And, and it, it literally felt like he just took like five commentaries and like I said, just kind of like mixed them together and just read it to us. But it, it was so extreme because there was a hearing impaired couple that sat kind of near us. And one Sunday I sat really close to them and I was sitting right behind them. So I'm kind of like looking over the pew and they had a piece of paper and I noticed them like tracing their finger. And then I look at it and the pastor had printed out his sermon notes and would give it to them. And I watched as she literally traced her finger on the line and he was just reading it verbatim. And I was just like, this is the church that was like 500. Yeah. It ran about 500 people on a Sunday morning. Wow. And it was just, this carried on for a really long time. But then eventually, starting in January of like 2016, yeah, in January 2016, they said, we're starting a a new series, and it was like on the pre-trib rapture. And he had to bring in like these specialists or something. And every sermon was just on pre-trib Sunday morning, like Sunday morning. And then as we get through January, he goes, you know what, this is a really important series. We're going to extend it into February. Whoa. So then it was pre-trib February every single Sunday. And then we got to like March and he's like, you know what? I've thought about this and I really feel like God wants us to do this for the whole, whole year. What? And like, it, it just like, it almost felt like. This is a fundamental Baptist church. Yes. 
It almost wow. felt like God was just like kicking me out of the like out the door. And I mean, the pastor would make crazy statements, just like you know, no one, no one could debunk anything that we've said. <laughs> you know, like I'm just sitting here thinking, like, what in the world? He did ask me to preach one time. Were you already post trip at that point? Yeah, I was post trip. So I was always pre trib mm-hmm. growing up. My dad was not. He didn't agree with it, so we'd argue about it. And he was post trip. No, he was oh. nothing. Oh, he was. He not- was just anti pre trip. Mm-hmm. He was just like pre trip's not in the Bible. And I would just be like, yeah, but it's got to be sometime. Like the rapture's in the Bible, so it's yeah. got to exist sometime. So he didn't really have a, p- a position. But I remember me and my wife, like because I was taking things seriously, I said, you know what, we're gonna read the Bible together at night. So we would read a couple chapters every night together. And I said, if you have any question, just ask me. And it was mostly an attempt to try and get her to become King James only because she was kind of resistant to the language of the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And I said, if we just read it together and you have a question, I'll answer it. And I'm like, you'll start realizing, like, it's not hard to be understood. And so, like, I'm kind of going with the approach of, like, I can't let anything seem hard to be understood, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she texts me at work one day. And she's just like, our, our next chapter is like Mark 13 or something like that. And she's like, what does Mark 13 mean? And so I don't even know what her question is yet, but I'm just like, I'm just like reading the whole chapter and I'm trying to figure out what her question is. And I'm just like, this is not pre-trib. And then I just like, was like, I was cough resonancing with like first Thessalonians four. And I'm just like, oh wow, it's not pre-trib at all. <laughs> and then right around that same time, Pastor Andrews was coming out with after the tribulation. Mm-hmm. And I kind of refused to watch it because I was just like, I don't want to watch that. I don't care about that. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to watch that film because it's post-trib. And then I felt like an idiot after watching the film because it was like so clear mm-hmm. from the film. And then I just was like, okay, it's obviously post-trib. And so going to that church, when we went to the Fundamental Baptist Church, I was always post-trib at that point in time. And I just, uh, I, I didn't care that they were pre-trib. I was like, I can go through a few sermons every once in a while. And when I went there, the old pastor never preached on it. So it wasn't even a big deal. Yeah. It was just this new guy coming in preaching it every single week and it was just it was became really vexing man how, how much can you even say about that's crazy to preach so many sermons of something that's not in the bible <laughs> yeah like, but i mean if it's a 15 minute red sermon oh 15 yeah, yeah. and then he has random people coming and they would just say the same things and it was, it was annoying because they would just say stuff I mean, that they would talk about soul winning though and i mean that's kind of the, the the seemed good about it is they would be like because we could go at any moment we need to get there and preach the gospel. We need to get people saved. We yeah. have an urgency. So while I don't agree with why they believe that, God used it together. It's for good. like at least it's encouraging people to preach the gospel yeah. and things like that. And so, you know, I mean, there was some benefit. The, the church was good for us, at least. Yeah. It just started waxing worse and worse and worse. And finally, it just got to the point where even my wife was just like, "Why are we staying here? Like, let's just move to like faithful word." And the fact that she was on board. It was just like my green light, and I was just like, let's go. So I talked to my boss, and I said, hey, I want to move to Phoenix to go become a pastor of this church. And they were Christians, so they kind of, like, understood those things. I was like, would you let me work remote? And they were just like, we've never done that, but sure. Hmm. And I was just like, cool. That's awesome. And then I went down. I worked at the bank down below our office building. And I knew everybody down there. So I went down there and I was talking to this banker and I said, man, I think I'm going to move to Phoenix and I'm going to sell my house. And he was like, hey, I know someone wants to buy your house. And I was just like, oh, man, everything's just falling into place. I was like, what do you mean? And and I said, well, look, I'm like remodeling it right now. I haven't even finished. 
I'm, I'm going to remodel it and then I'll put it on the market. He's like, don't even remodel it. He's like, Saturday, someone come, I know someone's going to buy your house. And I'm just like, okay. So like he has this guy come to my house on Saturday and he's just like, don't fix the bathroom. How much do you want? And I gave him a number. He basically haggled me for like $1,000 or $2,000 less than what I just my top offer. And he said, oh, it's also cash. So you just set the closing whenever you want. What? I was like, okay. So literally just like everything just was like as easy as it could possibly be. And in less than like a month or something, we sold our house. Wow. I I bought a house in Phoenix um, sight unseen because I just – I could not afford rent. But I had enough equity. Like I had a lot of equity Mm -hmm. that I could buy, and it was way cheaper. Because like rent there was like $1,800 a month or 2000 bucks a month or something like that. Whereas if I bought a house, it was like 700 bucks a month. And I was just like, okay. So I'm just, I bought a house. I had never seen it. And then we just, we just drove to Phoenix. And then I'd never been to Phoenix, I don't think. No, oh, man. And, and then we just drove there and then just started going to Faithful Word. And it was great. I mean, my wife said it felt like we were on permanent vacation. It was like the greatest time. And it was, it was so much better than everything else that we'd ever, uh, been through from a ministry perspective. So you moved there, what, in 2016? Yeah. Okay. Sometime, I think like May of 2016. And so, which we, I didn't, I did so many weird things. Like, because I always tried to do stuff, but it was just always weird. Like, I went to this addiction and recovery center because my boss, like I said, was Christian. This is in Texas. Yeah. He would preach at this addiction and recovery center. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, I'll get you in. So for like two years, I preached at this addiction and recovery center like almost every Tuesday for lunch. And you would just go and like the people that would come, they have to listen to the preaching before they can go eat. And I remember asking them, I said like, <laughs> do you care what I preach? And they said, you can preach whatever you want. And like some of the people that would come preach would be like ladies that would come like sing song preach and like charismatics and just mm-hmm. every heretic you can imagine. So I just got up there and I'd preach like King James onlyism, and I would just rip on all kinds of different things. And uh, it's funny, they never got mad at me. And in fact, they started, it's like all the Bibles in there were just random Bibles. But then after I started preaching King James Onlyism, the only Bibles you could find in the sanctuary were King James Bibles. That's awesome. And I was just like, and I don't think very many people got saved, even though I always plug like salvation at the end. But there was one kid that at least came down the aisle, wanted to get saved. I did like an extra just Romans Road check with them. Mm-hmm. And he got saved. So I think I only got one person saved in two years of preaching there. <laughs> But it was a lot of experience of just preaching. Yeah. And and they gave me a present when I left. And they gave me a framed picture of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is fitting for you know That's hilarious. For going there and doing this. And and I only preached one other time where my pastor it was funny, like the the, the newer guy that wasn't preaching very well, he knew I wanted to be a pastor. And I always listen to, like, Pastor Ernest is always like, there's a prepared place for a prepared person and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I said, you know what? I'm always going to have a sermon ready. So I, like, I wrote a whole sermon, and I'm like, I'm ready to preach if, if my pastor ever wanted me to. And I thought there would no, be no chance because I'm new. It's a church running 500 people. They have multiple pastors on staff. Like, it's kind of, like, not realistic that they yeah. would ask a new guy to come preach yeah. for them or something. But then he's just like, he's from the pulpit. He's like, you know what? I've decided right after the morning sermon, he's like, I just decided tonight— Jonathan Shelley is going to preach a sermon for five minutes. And, then, and I was just like, what in the world? 
Like, he didn't say anything to me. Like, I'm just sitting there, and I'm just like, okay, you know. Just God put it on his heart. So I just, like, took my sermon and just took, like, five minutes out of it and preached for, like, five, seven minutes or whatever. And he asked, like, two other guys to do something, like, preach a little mini sermon or something. That's awesome. But I was just like, that was weird. But at the same time, I was like, I mean, it seemed on purpose because it's like I, I prepared, I was ready. Yeah. And so that was always my philosophy. And even at Faithful Word, like, I never came to service without a sermon ready in hand. And it actually, you know, it benefits you because I remember one time Pastor Anderson, he was like choking or something. And it was like he wasn't going to be able to preach that night. And they asked like four people before me, but nobody had a sermon. And so then they're like, well, you preach. And I was like, yeah. But then like last minute he got over it and he went to preach. So I didn't end up preaching that night. But then the next time he needed someone to preach, he asked me mm-hmm. if I would preach a sermon for him. And so, you know, I, I just think if, if someone out there, like, wants to be a pastor or wants to be a preacher or whatever, they should just always be ready to preach yeah. and just always have a sermon ready. And they should they should never forego any opportunity. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity, they should always take it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just think that's, like, really important. Like, even with this church, Pastor Anderson started this church, and it was really fast to me and uh, i just remember one time he's just like hey do you want to preach there and i'm just like yeah <laughs> so so we just like he's like give me a date and i just gave him a date and then we we got to come out here and, and visit and it was a lot of fun it was in 2017 yeah you preached open door i think that's that was a sermon yeah open doors how god opens doors and you got to walk through them mm-hmm. and uh, i guess that's just always been on my heart it's just like whatever opportunity god gives you you know you, just, you need to take it yeah man and so so you can kind of see god's providential hand over you throughout i mean looking back obviously you can see a lot god just kind of like leading you and opening doors and yeah i mean obviously there's there's events in my life where i don't think that i can explain it Humanly speaking, I mean, it just feels like God was helping me, guiding me. And even though I don't have a perfect backstory at all, and, and I've grit, raised in weird churches and weird events and, and been a doctrinal mess growing up, it's I always had a zeal for the truth, and I just always wanted to know what was right. Yeah. And I think that that – I think when you just want to know what's true and right, God can use weird situations to get you to the right place. Yeah. So, but I mean, even my, my mom was really spiritual and, and I, I think that played a big role in my life. And she, she read the Bible every day and she, she, church was the most important thing to her. And she would even say like, the only thing I care about my kids, I don't care if they're, they make money or rich or anything. She's like, I just want them to know God and love God. And it was just like, it was really impactful for me. And she would you know, they're, they're charismatic, right? Mm-hmm. But she would always say stuff to me. She would just be like, Sean, God has told me that you're going to be a preacher one day and that God's going to use your voice and that, like, you're going to, you know. She would always just say those things to me. And I didn't really, I've never really believed in, like, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think just the fact that she just believed in me was really important. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I kind of I kind of got in trouble a lot as a kid being, like, a class clown and, I was loud and stuff like that. But then she would take that weakness, as it were, and then say, like, no, I think God's going to use that for something good. And, you know, you're going to be able to preach one day. And she just really was – she would just say it all the time. Yeah. And it was just like – and I don't 
I don't even know what my mom would believe on salvation, which is sad because she died way before I kind of like got really involved with church. And she definitely had some issues when it came to doctrinal things. But, you know, I, I wish that I knew 100% what my mom believed on salvation. I don't. But, you know, that's, and that's really sad for me. But either way, she was one of the most influential people in my life when Amen. it comes to spiritual things. Yeah, that's awesome. What was your mom's name? Diana. Diana. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, it just kind of shows what, you know, you were talking about last night, the impact that a mom can have, you know, on her children from a spiritual perspective and, and like, you know, how she can just play a major role in the life of a young man, you know what I mean, and just kind of influence him for the Lord and, and help him to be the man of God that God wants him to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're going to spend, especially if you – homeschool stuff i mean the mom is spending just an order of magnitude amount of time more with the children than the dad and of course that person's going to end up influencing them more than the father would so really i believe for men to become spiritual giants it's almost more important who the mom is than who the dad is in a lot of ways because the dad can only do so much he can only motivate the mom to be spiritual so much and it's just such a it's just just a major role. Yeah. And, and really, when you study the Bible, <clears throat> most of the really good men of God had a really specific mother. And I think that's why the Bible brings up the mother often mm-hmm. about like, and this is his mother. And you see guys that have the same dad have David. Yeah. I mean, which could you argue for a better dad? It's like the man after God's own heart. You got right. David as your dad, but then we see some of the women not a Hinoam mm-hmm. or some of these other women raising really bad children, yeah. Amnon, Absalom. But then you got Solomon with Bathsheba. Yeah. And so I, I think from a biblical perspective, while obviously a, a father can still influence a child greatly and it's going to have a major impact, but that the woman, the, the mother, is almost more important in a child's life. And whenever I was seeking a wife, that was like one of my number one things is like, how is this woman going to be with my children? Yeah. And that's what attracted me to my wife so much is I knew that she was just going to be an awesome mom. Yeah. She just loved kids so much. And she just like, she cared more about sacrificing for like family than like being selfish. Yeah. And that just really attracted me to her. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a father plays a very important role and, I would say like it, it is the most important role only because he kind of sets the spiritual temperature for the family, sets the direction, and um, kind of determines where the ship is going to go. But the hands on deck, so to speak, would be like the mom. And even if the dad wants to set uh, a spiritual course for his family, if the wife's not on board, it's not going to happen. Or the dad has to just work five times as hard to make it happen, you know, but... I definitely agree with that. Like, if it wasn't for my wife, you know, um, my kids, you know, and the family wouldn't function as well, you know what I mean, without her influence over my kids. And just her her advice that she gives to me, you know, the counsel she gives me, because she is one of my trusted advisors, believe it or not. I take advice from women sometimes, you know. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's... That's why you're so smart. Hey, that's why I'm so blessed. <laughs> I'm a blessed man because of my wife, you know. 
Well, I agree with you on the importance. I, I think the man's the most important role. There's no question. Yeah. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I'm just saying that the mother has the most influence. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of because of the amount of time yeah. they have. In, in, they're in, with the kids. They're with the kid. That whatever they do, good or bad, it's going to influence the kid more than any but other person. Yeah. Whereas the dad is going to set the tone, and, and he can overcome these things, of yeah. course. But at the end of the day... Like, yeah, mom should not undermine the impact that they're, they're, they're making in the lives of their kids and in the family. Right. It's very much important. It's essential. So, again, most people... I think most people are a product of their mother in a, in a lot of ways, whether they realize it or not, whether yeah. it was good or bad. While as the, the dad kind of is, like you said, setting the course of the ship, the mom's how well you enjoyed the trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So the quality, yeah, as it were. for sure. Amen. That's good. Good stuff, Pastor Shelley. I enjoyed. Uh, and then you were at Faithful Word for how long? So we got there on May of 2016, and then I was sent out in August of 2018. So it was a little over two years. Okay. And then we started Pure Ridge Baptist Church. Um, in Houston in August of, of 2018. And then I took over Steadfast in January of 2019. So it was very quick. Yeah. Um, and then I've been over, I've been the pastor of both those churches since then. Um, we, we had a church in Jacksonville, which we gave to Patrick Boyle of Revival Baptist Church. But then we still have a, a church plant in Oklahoma City for Steadfast. And then we have Pure Word, which is a separate church yeah. in Houston. Amen. Well, Pastor Shelley, you're doing a great work, and um, the Lord's using you in a great way. Probably not going to get into all the persecution, just because um, I think everyone pretty much knows what's going on with that. But we're we're definitely praying for you, and even aside from that awesome history that you got in the past, I mean, you, there's so many other great works that you've done in the future, and your church is definitely an example unto all of our churches here in California and all over the world, obviously. And your leadership, your friendship, I appreciate you, and I'm thankful that you've stayed the course. Um, you know, it's always, I don't know if this is going to sound appropriate or not, but it's always a blessing to see people suffer and how they suffer, because it kind of shows who they really are. You know, you think of like the tea bag illustration where it's, you don't really know the contents of a tea bag until it's put into hot water. And so we've definitely been able to see your, the contents uh, of what you're made of because of the persecution you suffered and the tribulations you've gone through. And it's definitely an example unto us. So I just want to thank you. I appreciate you for that. Thank you for coming out to preach for us and for spending time with us Californians, you know, from, from Texas. And, um, and so um, we're going to wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rod of Iron podcast. Make sure you... Oh, by the way, where can people find your preaching, your content, talk about your website, yeah, so we've been trying to do an email list just because we get censored and we send out emails to all the links. So if you email us at steadfastbaptistkjv at gmail.com and just say you want to be on our email list, we'll add you to that. Also, our website, sbckjv.com. You can go there. You can find a lot of our information. Um, also, we have been starting a new platform to put some of our preaching. It's called it's godresource.com. And you can click on a link there about the platform. Uh, it's right on the front page, and it has a lot of the preaching um, for our church. We also put our live stream on our live stream tab uh, for our church every single week. But those are probably the best ways to find us moving forward, and uh, we'll just keep sending out that information via email. What's your Instagram as well? 
It got nuked. I don't. I don't even. Oh, have does one. it? Did it get nuked? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, what's your Facebook or is there any other platforms you want to mention? Our, our every everything we got nuked on. Okay. I mean, so <laughs> really, I mean, I think that there we have a YouTube channel has like a couple hundred subs. It's like Love Thy Neighbor or something. Yeah. So I think you'd find it if you go to our website. But again, the best is the email list because no matter what they do to us, yeah, we can still send you out the email Absolutely. and get you the new links and everything like that. So I, I wasn't even big on Instagram. That was Dylan that was like running Was he the that. one who was yeah. running that? Oh, He's really okay. good at Instagram and stuff yeah. like that. So he was helping us. I think I have like, I had an account. It was Andrewster05. And I had like 60 followers and I had no posts. <laughs> and then I, I uploaded two videos recently. And I think I have like 100 followers now or something. But oh, nice. I haven't even done anything much with it. So I don't even know. I tried to change the name to something like Steadfast or whatever. But it won't even let me change the name. So yeah. I don't even know. But for sure. Well, make sure you, you follow him, subscribe to his channel, make sure you get on the email list and uh, the the God resource as well. And that's pretty much it, folks. We're going to call it a day for the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we're looking forward to seeing you all for the next episode. Pastor Shelley, God bless you. Have a safe trip back home. Looking forward to fellowshipping with you and seeing you again. All right. Great. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you.